Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew 25 as we get started. Matthew 25. If you've been with us recently, you know we've been studying through the book of 1 Timothy. And we're going to go there in just a minute. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 4 throughout the rest of our sermon. But I'm going to start by looking at a text, a parable of Jesus. Titled the message this morning, Well Done. Well Done. Now, there is great power uh, in the congratulatory word from somebody that you love, somebody you respect, somebody that you want to make uh, feel good, or you, you want to do something that they will appreciate, when that person comes to you and says, good job, well done, uh, you know that, that that makes you feel like you've done something worthwhile, right? And we know this. We've all had parents, and to work hard at something that maybe your parent loves or parent likes and yeah, have them come up to you afterward and say, you're doing awesome. You're doing a great job. It's, it's something different, right? And maybe you had a parent that wasn't that way and, and you felt yourself wanting to please him, wanting to find that appreciation from him and never having it and even doing as much as you can to try to get it. Now, it's, it's much more to us when the person we're, we're looking to get some sort of approval from, is someone we respect. We love, they, we, we love them, we know them, we care about them, and we want them to see, that, well, we want to see that, that they care about us, right? How much more we take it to an even higher degree when we think about our Savior, Jesus Christ. How about at the end of your life, at the end of this time, seeing our Savior face to face, what is it that you want to hear from him? we can be reminded of Jesus' parable, Matthew 25. He gives a parable in this text where Jesus says, a man went out, and as he went out, he gave three different individuals different amounts of talents or different amounts of money. And he told them that as I was gone, use those to build uh, um, money back up for me so that when I return, uh, you can give it back to me. And here's what we find in the response to this parable. Verse 19 of Matthew 25, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And uh, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of my master. And he also Uh, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground, Here, you you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he has given, and he will have an abundance. But... From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where, we will be, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this parable. One, we could spend and focus our time and attention on that one individual that did nothing, that did not appreciate the, the master, that did not care. We could spend our time looking at him. But I want to focus on the other two that were faithful to the master, that when the master came back, they said, Master, as you were gone, I thought about you. I thought about what you've given to me. And, and, and I wanted to give my life back. I wanted to give the mount back plus some. I want to give my life back to you. And as they gave it back to the master, what the master say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, think about that concept, that idea. As your, the end of your life comes and you see your Savior, you see Jesus Christ now appear. Your life has passed. Maybe you, you've passed on and Jesus shows up in front of you. And the one that has saved you has been your Savior for years and years. You finally see face to face. And the question is, what is he going to say to me? What, what, what do I know about him? Well, if you have Jesus as your Savior, if you've recognized your sin, you've repented of your sin and recognized Jesus is the only one who could pay for your sin, his words to you in that are going to be, well done. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, Jim, I know, it's been tough. Ron, whatever your name is, it's been tough. I know it's tough, but I've been with you through it all. And guess what? Well done. You've made it to the end. I mean, what a wonderful thought to see your Savior and have him say, you've done a good job. You've done a good job. Is it possible that your Savior would say that to you? That's what we're going to look at today. Flip back over to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4 we get to our uh, text for today. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. And in 1 Timothy 4, first five verses, uh, remember that Paul is teaching Timothy. He's a, an elder, one that is left with the church at Ephesus there to teach and to help the, uh, the pastors that are there. And in verses 1 through 5, we just talked about last week, his challenge to Timothy, Paul's challenge to Timothy, was to stay strong in the faith. And in doing so, he says, Make sure that you're not believing what the demons teach, what's not true in the Bible. Make sure you're not believing what other people that are against God are teaching. They're te- teaching Satan's lies. Then he tells us to beware of Satan's current lies of the day and beware of rejecting God's good gifts. We, we continue that conversation today. We get to verse 6, and what does he say in verse 6? He starts and he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Paul is, first of all, starting out and saying, what is our goal as a Christian? It is to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So that at the end of our life, he can look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It really starts in verse 6 here, but could continue all the way to about verse 16. We're going to stop after verse 10 today. But he says, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ if you do these things. We're going to talk about what it means to do these things. But today, as we look at our text, I want to challenge you, if we can get me on the right slide there. Okay. Okay, you're going to just have to watch, Jody. It doesn't look like we're working today. Challenge you with the idea, live to receive the congratulatory words of your Savior, Jesus Christ. That seems like a mouthful, but as we break that down, it's easy. We want to see Jesus. He's our Savior. And when we see him... We want him to say, well done. 
Yes, we know he's going to say, well done, because he's covered us with his sacrifice. It's not what you've done, but even as we live this life, calling us to live it for him and to grow in your faith. Many times throughout, you can see Paul, Timothy, the other authors saying, grow, take up, take up what you're doing in this life, give it to God, and grow in your Christian walk. Have it be about him and not about you. And that's exactly what we're finding here. Live to receive the congratulatory words of your Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and today, another aspect of this text we're going to look at is training. Training. We're going to see it all throughout here, but one of Paul's favorite things to use is this idea of an athlete. Someone who puts time and effort in work so that they can get a result that they're looking for. He uses that idea. He applies it to the Christian life. He says if we want to be a, a Christian that is growing and doing it because they want to please their Heavenly Father, then you've got to train yourself. You've got to train yourself and even go to rigorous activity to make sure you're growing. And God's going to help you along the way. It's not by your own strength, but you've got to be turning and asking God, help me to grow. Help me to grow. Today I want to look at four areas uh, to train ourselves in that we can get from our text. That brings number one, area that we need to train yourself. Train up your voice to speak boldly. Train up your voice to speak boldly. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, Paul to Timothy says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Now he's talking to Timothy. And a little background about Timothy. He is a younger man. And Paul is leaving him in the area of Ephesus so that he can minister to churches and to the church at Ephesus. But there are other people that are ministering. There are other pastors, other elders. And as he leaves him there, he says, Timothy, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to be bold in what you know to be true. Timothy, you've been my, my, my traveling partner for a long, long time. You know the faith. You know the truth of the faith. And even, Timothy, you've grown up under it. You've had a mother and a grandmother who taught you of the faith. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to be bold. And what he's telling us is to train up your voice to speak boldly. Again, Paul is talking to Timothy, and Timothy is ministering to the church as an elder, as a pastor. But this goes to us as well. Speak up boldly for what we know to be true about God. Now, public speaking is a difficult thing, isn't it? You can maybe remember back to the first time you had to do something that was public speaking. I can remember it. I can remember my first public speaking class, maybe 10th grade. And I had to do a, I think it was a joke that we had to do, and you had to be up there for like one to three minutes. And I remember for the two weeks prior to that being terrified, being terrified. Like, I cannot get up in front of 25 kids. They're my friends. Like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to, it was very tough to speak up, right? Well, luckily, we're not all called to be public speakers. Um, and even myself, you'd, th- you'd say, if you were terrified, why would you go into pa- pastoring and speaking in front of people week after week? Of course, it's because we're, we're, we're listening to what God wants us to do. And as God worked in my own life, he, he led me down that path to say, let's get over your fear so that you can be used in whatever way that I, I have you. And that's what has led me here. We're all not uh, called to be public speakers, but we are all called to speak boldly for Christ, to speak up about what the truth is. Um, 
Verse 6 reminds us of that. If you put these things before the brothers, how is Timothy called to put these things before the brothers? He's called to speak about them. And these things that he's talking about is everything he just mentioned in verses 1 to 5. The idea that false teaching is a tool that the devil uses to try to get people to go astray. And he's, he's talking about people that are in their midst, people that are with them in, uh, in the church services that they're having. And he says, Timothy, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to tell the truth about God and his son Jesus Christ and that no other way to salvation is had except through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Don't let anybody add to that message of salvation. Don't let anybody say that it's what you eat and what you don't eat that is going to produce your salvation. Don't let anybody say that there are good things that um, you should really put, put off so that you can be more godly. Don't add anything to what the message is. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. But it's very tough for us to do. It's easy to say that, to say, be bold, speak truthful things to people, even when they're, when they're speaking what's wrong and what you know is wrong. But here's the thing that he's trying to tell us is don't let fear be the driving factor in your life. Don't let fear be the driving factor in your life. Sometimes we don't stand up for the truth of God's word because of fear. Because of fear. Fear of a lot of different things. First of all, fear of people's opinions. We might not want to speak the truth because someone's not going to like it. Or if I speak the truth and even say it in love, I know that they're going to lash out at me. They're not going to like me anymore. Or they're going to even attack me, my character, or what I say, and and say that I'm something that I'm not. But who are we living for when those things uh, prevent us from speaking the truth. We're living for ourselves. We're, we're living for our own reputation in front of other people. Don't let the fear of other people's opinions prevent you from speaking the truth. Another thing we can be fearful of is fear of not being smart enough. You know, we don't want to speak out because maybe we're, we, we feel like we ourselves are a baby Christian. We, we haven't had enough time to really grow in the faith. But you know, if you understand who Jesus Christ is to you, you have a message to speak. You have something you can tell those who are around you that happened to you, that God did it for you and in you. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't let the fear of not being smart enough, not having all the right answers, prevent you from speaking boldly. Third thing is a fear of negative consequences, which kind of goes along with our first one. Negative consequences as to who's going to like me, who's not going to like me, what family members are going to disown me because I've said what's true and what's right. All of those things can prevent us, and they could prevent Timothy. And I think of Timothy. He is a younger man going to minister to older elders, people who have taught Scripture, know Scripture. They know what it says. But Timothy is told by Paul to speak out for what's right. I mean, be conscience, conscious of, of, of who you're talking to, but don't let that prevent you from saying what's right and leading them in the right way. We have to do that with our families. We have to do that with who's around us. Be a, a willing to speak up. We need to train up your voice to speak boldly and boldly for the truth of Jesus Christ. What we also need to do is not just personally seek to speak up and be bold. We also need to seek to follow leaders who boldly stand up for the truth of God's, God's word. This specifically comes from the text because Paul's talking to Timothy, who's going to be a, a leader and a pastor over the church at Ephesus there. 
And so he is telling those there, follow your godly leaders. Follow those who are going to speak bold truths for the sake of God's kingdom. This isn't the only spot. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 tells us, says this, And he gave the apostles, this is God, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. What's the purpose that God gave godly leaders? Is to build up the body of Christ, to help us understand when maybe we're immature, understand that God has worked in them as they've studied and they've tried to prepare and they've prayed over what they're studying. And God wants to bring that to you for building up the body of Christ until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What's he saying here? Those who God has set up as spiritual leaders should boldly speak the truth, and we should seek as followers to follow those who will boldly speak the truth of God's word. I mean, that is a challenge for us because often we want to listen to who's the best communicator, who uh, makes me feel good after a message is done, who tells good stories and keeps my attention. I mean, those aren't bad things to develop from a pastor, but if what he's telling you and what he's teaching you is not grounded in the Word of God, he is not the one to be followed. He is not the one to say, I'm going to give my time and effort to following him unless what he's teaching is teaching from God's Word. Speak boldly. John MacArthur helps us out in this idea. He says this. He says, Convictionless preaching, consisting of watered-down teaching, platitudes, and weak theology, has replaced doctrinally sound expositional preaching. The resulting legacy has been one of charismatic confusion, psychological encroachment, mysticism, even psychic and occult influence. Much of that chaos can be attributed directly to the failure of pastors to think critically and preach with conviction. So many pastors have failed to draw the line clearly between truth and error and build their people up in the rich and sound doctrine of God's word. Such weak preachers are often said to compensate by having what some call a pastor's heart. Well, a pastor's heart, however, is not measured by how, many, or how good a man is at petting sheep, but by how well he protects them from wolves and feeds them so that they grow to be mature and strong. What is, what is John MacArthur saying? He's saying, don't follow someone who is going to lead you astray. If he's leading you astray with a smile on his face and with a good story, he's still leading you astray. Get behind the one who you know teaching you scriptures. He brings you to God's word. When you have questions, yeah, he brings you to the, the text of God's word and to verses that challenge your heart. Not someone who's going to give you a story or say what he thinks about life or your situation or your problem. God's word is the one that we stand on. Don't be afraid to speak up boldly yourself and follow those who boldly speak up for God's truth. Live to receive the congratulatory word of your Savior, Jesus Christ. The first area that we train ourselves in is train up your voice to speak boldly. That brings us to the second area. Number two, train up your faith and doctrine. Train up your faith and doctrine. We find this second part of verse 6. It says, 
start at verse 6, put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of, of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Faith and doctrine. Faith and doctrine is what he tells us of. <clears throat> I am a far cry from a mechanic, okay? There are times that, however, there are times that because I don't want to spend money, I'm cheap. I'll tell you that, I'm cheap, all right? Uh, I have to learn to do what I can do so that I can make things work. I can fix things. And that just so happened this last week. My trailer, one of the bearings, went out on it. And I thought, oh, great, it's screeching, and I, I can't do what I need to do. So like, I can't even pull this where I need to go because it's screeching. So, of course, you know what this means is that I dive in to studying out, figuring out how to fix this. And after a long day of work yesterday, let's say work that would have taken someone to knew what they were doing probably a lot less time. Let's just say that. Um, I dove into it. I finished a project of switching uh, some bearings out. Uh, what happened there was that I was not knowledgeable. I did not know. And so I searched out what was right, what was good, and how to fix this. And it's the same thing that applies to our Christian walk. We need to grow in our faith and our doctrine because that is going to affect how you see life, how you answer problems, how you look at what's going on in your life and are able to respond with faith in God and trusting that he is good, he is God, all the things that we know that make him God, we need to train up our faith and our doctrine. It says, you're going to be a good servant of Jesus Christ if you've been trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Two different aspects. So, I want to look at those two aspects for just a second. Trained in the words of faith. Now, this idea of the words of faith is the faith that brought you to salvation. That is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel message? It's the message that, one, you are a sinner. You and I, are, we are all sinners. We go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God made them perfect. God made them without sin. But he gave them a choice, and he told them not to eat of the fruit that was in the garden, and they chose to eat of it. They entered all of humanity and the human race into sin. That sin nature and sinful action of theirs has passed down to all of us that we're, even now when we're a baby, David says that we are born sinners. Even in my mother's womb, I was born a sinner because the sin nature. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have our own personal sin. There are times where we choose to do things that are against God. That is sin. Now, the question for us is, how does that sin get dealt with? Because if that sin, and the sin that me and you have, is not dealt with, there is no way possible that you and I can go to be with God after this world is over. And why, you ask? It is because God is a holy and just God. That means he is separate from us in every way, and because we have sin, it causes a break in relationship. He cannot be with you. He cannot be with sin. And we can try to do anything we can to get rid of and deal with that sin ourselves. That will not work. We can try to go to church more often. We can try to train our kids to be good morally, to do right things, and to be good people. We can try to give money to organizations that we think, wow, that's a good thing for me to do. God's got to be happy with me. All of those things are me trying to outweigh the good and bad. And so that at some point, if I get to heaven and Jesus and God looks at me and says, well, why should you come to heaven? My thought process here is, 
well, I tried to do enough good things. I mean, enough good things will outweigh my bad, so God's got to let me in. But what we don't understand is our sin and the sin that is really impossible for us to deal with. To, to the magnitude of, of sin compared to God's holiness, those things equal nothing. You know, all those good are as filthy rags as what Scripture tells us. So we're left with a problem, aren't we? How, how do we get rid of our sin? How do, we, how do we get so that we can be with God? Well, God looked down from heaven. He loved us. He loved us. He cared for us. And we know it by what he did next. He said, I, I know they can't earn their own salvation. That they cannot come to me. But I want to provide a way. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my precious son, my only son, Jesus Christ. He is God. He is part of the Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're going to come. We made a plan since before time that Jesus is going to go to earth. He's going to take on human form. He's going to be born as a baby. He's going to live the perfect life. The perfect life that you and I could never live. Jesus never had sin. He never did anything that was against his Father's will. He himself was holy. He lived that whole life so that, and he came so that, he could walk his way to the cross of Calvary. A place of torture and torment and destruction. And why did he do it? To pay for my sin and for your sin and for all who would accept him. Not, not all in the whole world, but those who would accept Jesus and his sacrifice and truly from the heart want to serve, please them. That, that includes repenting of your sin, recognizing your sin, repenting of it, and turning to the Savior. That's the only thing that gets us to heaven. That's the only thing that will, will earn God's favor. It's not, it's not us earning it. It is God covering us with his blood so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. The question is, have you done that today? Have you made Jesus your Savior? And that, that does not entail just one quick prayer where, oh yeah, I said, Jesus, will you be my Savior? No, it, it's, a, it's a change in direction from your life, from living for yourself and only doing something so that I can get ahead, so that I can get some benefit, to now saying, no, no, no that's not how I live. My Savior has done everything for me. He's provided salvation, so I'm going to live for him. He's the one I love. He's done so much for me. Do you have that in your heart today? Do you have that desire to love him and to please him? That's the words of faith. <clears throat> That's not something that just happens once or we only think about once. I hope that each and every week we're thinking about the gospel continually. <clears throat> faith is not the only thing that he talks about here. He also talks about the doctrine, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that have followed. Faith starts with our understanding of sin and our accepting of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. The good doctrine is the, the combination of understanding who God is and how this world is. How do we grow in doctrine? We grow in understanding of God. We do that through scripture reading, through a prayer life, yeah, some would think, oh, I don't like to read the Old Testament because that's, it's, it's hard, it's difficult for me. Or even, God seems difficult to understand in the Old Testament. Like, how do I understand that? But the reason that we read the entirety of Scripture and we study the entirety is because we're getting different ideas and characteristics of who God is. And it's helping to shape and guide our minds uh, to, to understand and love God in specific ways. That's doctrine. 
That's taking the whole of Scripture, the breadth and the width of God, and trying to understand him better. And you know what that does? That affects our walk. It affects how we love him, how we serve him, because we know and understand him better. This text says, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you follow. So the first area we need to train ourselves in is to speak boldly. Second area is to train up your faith and your doctrine. That brings us to the third area, train up your godliness. Train up your godliness. And this is really the section, verses 7 through 9, where Paul hits on the idea of training. Training. A couple years ago, it was probably a while ago now, um, I was watching an interview with Michael Phelps. And Michael Phelps, you know, is an Olympic athlete, one of the most decorated Olympic athletes of our time. He's got so many gold medals. And the, the question the interviewer was, how do you do it? I mean, what is your daily, week-to-week, day-to-day routine? What does it look like? And he went through exactly what he did. He'd wake up in the morning. He'd go for a swim, a long swim. He'd eat, and his eating habits were crazy, like so many calories because he's swimming all day long. Then he was back in the pool. Then he was eating. Then he back in the pool. It almost seemed to me like he was doing all of these crazy things, but it was for one goal that he was trying to get to, to win a gold medal, to win a gold medal, to have that goal that he was uh, competing for, that he wanted to accomplish. That was his, his one main thing that kept him focused to get that goal. We as Christians should have a, a, a different goal, but a same mentality. And the goal for us is seen in the text as a goal of godliness. Godliness. Godliness is the idea of understanding who God is and how he works in the world so that we can serve him, love him better, and bring more glory to his name. We do this as we grow as Christians. You've heard the term godliness. It's us growing as Christians, pleasing God, being like God, and, and we want to grow in that because we are his. We don't want to stay where we're at. And in Scripture, we see that when there are times where Christians seem to stay where they're at, Paul calls them out and says, you shouldn't be acting like babies, baby Christians anymore. You should have been digesting the words of truth so that they're creating more godliness in you. It's a challenge to us as well. Look at verse 7. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What sticks out right in the middle of that, verse 7, is rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. That, that hard, rigorous activity of your life should be focused on you becoming more like God. Does that... Um, does that uh, characterize you today? Is that what you see in your life? I really want to be more godly. I'm trying to work at that. He's challenging us, rather train yourself for godliness. He tells us in the midst of this, first of all, to identify and reject falsehood. Verse 7 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. If I'm trying to train myself in godliness, one of the things I have to be aware of is what, what Paul just mentioned in verses 1 to 5 irreverent, silly myths, things that are taking me away in the wrong direction from God. We can easily look at culture and point out a lot of things that they're trying to teach us. They're trying to indoctrinate even our kids with different TV shows and different concepts. They're trying to take us away from God. And this tells us, um, have nothing to do with these 
speak out against them for what they are as something that is not good. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And he continues, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. He says in this verse, bodily training is of some value. And you think of if you've ever trained for anything, a sport, a race, some sort of run, or if you've trained yourself even in education, how to learn something, how to do something, you put yourself through rigorous activity. Right here, he's talking about physical body exercises. And you do that so that your muscles will grow, so that you can do what you want to do. And he says that it's good, it has some value. That means that it's good to a degree to get done what you want to do, but it's not good for everything, right? Everything that you need in life does not come from our bodily training. I think we can learn a lot even from that concept because there are too many people in the world today that think that their physical appearance, their physical body means everything. And if they lose that, if they gain a little weight, if they this or that, it, it causes them to fall into depression, despair, and they'll go even to great lengths to, I'm not eating anything. I'll, I'll binge my food. I'll do this because I want to look this physical, specific part. Now, this t- says that it's, it's only profitable for a little bit. And it's only as much as our body can be used. But you know what happens as you live your life? your body starts to fall apart. It does not matter how much exercise and everything you do, you start to fall apart, okay? So what is it, what's better to put my time and effort into? Is it to to be at my physical peak forever? Or is it to work at godliness? To work at godliness. Verse 8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness, on the other hand, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness, remember, is living for God, acting like God, growing to be more like God. That is more valuable for the present life. Even than physical exercise, it's better because it helps to train your mind as to what God wants and what's good for you. And as you live out those concepts, your life is going to be better. God has designed us and this world for us to please him. And when we're doing that with our actions, it is better for you. He also says, for the life to come. Of course, for the life to come, because we know that if we don't live for godliness, that means that we have not accepted Christ as our Savior. We do not have a desire to please him, and we will not have a future with him in glory. God tells us that those who do not accept Jesus will be cast out into a lake of fire, a place of torture and torment. That is not something to scare you into heaven. It is the fact, the reality of the matter that God, being a just God, has to punish sin. And he either punishes sin on the cross at Jesus Christ, taking the sin for you, or he punishes sin in the individual who is cast into the lake of fire, into torment for all of eternity. He wants you to accept Jesus. He wants you to come to him and to start that life of godliness For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is such an important saying that he ends with verse 9 that says, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. He says, I've just just said this, now stop and think about it. This life is not the end. This life is not what you should live for. Train for godliness 
that you can go on into eternity with your heavenly Father. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 5, 3 through 5 says the same thing. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What's he saying in 2 Timothy? Paul is saying, I know there's a lot going on, but focus in on what's most important. Godliness, because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, that is going to be valuable for this life and the next. Question for us and for you today, are you training yourself for godliness? Are you training yourself for godliness? Are you surrounding yourself with his word? Do you open up God's word throughout the week? Or is it just, hey, one time a week, I'll grab it and go to church, listen to what the pastor says? Or am I trying throughout the week to know him more, to understand him better so I can glorify him better? Are you surrounding yourself with his word? Are you in communion with him often? Do you have a relationship that is close because you have a prayer life that constantly goes to him? brings him your troubles, brings him the good things that you're thankful for. A life of prayer tells a lot about an individual, how close they are to God. What does your prayer life look like today? Are you disciplining yourself for godliness by having a prayer life that is constant? That's what God wants for you. Number three, are you striving to grow in specific areas of your Christian life? How about that area you know? It's, uh, it's been a struggle it's been a sin that you've, you know, wrestled with. And you know it's there. You've thought about it. You want to change it. Have you put the time and effort into it to study God's word about it, to reach out to other Christian friends, to pray for you in that, uh, to, to do all the things that God has helped, given us to help in those areas? Are you sharing your Christian walk with other Christians? Are, the, are, are you alone by yourself? And I'll tell you, if you're alone by yourself trying to deal with your problems, it's going to be more of a, a hardship, a struggle. We all have problems, and, and we all have difficulties, even Christians, because we're living in a sin-cursed world. And because of it, we have times of hard, heartache and hardship. Yeah. Are you doing it by yourself? Or are you using what God has given us? He's given us the church, a people, a group of believers, and the local body of church is so important for you to be involved in. And to not just so that the church can get your time and effort. No, so that we can share our Christian walk together. And when there are times that you can help somebody, you're there to do that. And when there's times that you need help, other Christians are there to encourage you. And that's what he's talking about. Do you share all of these areas? This is what it takes to grow in training and, and to be godly. Here's the last question for you. Do you even care about pleasing and living for your Savior? Do you even care about, and I wrote that specifically so that it jolts us out of our seat, do you care? Do you care about your Savior? We say that we care about our Savior, but each and every week, it is difficult at times. Do you take that difficulty where it's becoming serious and real to you, do you turn it into action and ask God, God, help me? God, help me, help me to discipline my heart and my actions so that I love you more? Or... You just let it pass you by and say, now it is what it is. Sin is what it is. I, this life is just what it is. I don't, I don't really care. Right? Do you even care? This says care about your Savior. Discipline yourself for godliness 
and God's going to help you in that walk. That brings us to our fourth area of training. Number four, train up your future hope. Train up your future hope. Verse 10, Paul ends to Timothy and he says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have a hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. For to this end we toil and strive. He's talking again, using that athletic uh, language. He's saying, I'm working hard because I want to be godly, because I want to see my Savior. He says this, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. He is not a dead God. He is not Jesus who died and it is, the story's been misconstrued that he, he rose again. That's a lie that Satan has tried to use to turn people away. It is true. He is a living and active God and we are going to see him face to face at the end of our life or when he comes to take his, his believers to be with him. Are you ready for that day? Are you Are you training yourself in that future hope? And the hope he's talking about here is not, oh, I hope, I hope it'll happen sometime. He's talking about a confident assurance that we know what God says in his word is true and that he is going to return and that he is the savior of the world. That hope. He says, because we have our hope set on the living God. And then he says something interesting in these last two phrases. He says, who is the savior of all people? especially of those who believe. Now, uh, different commentators would explain this in different ways. One way to explain this is to say that he's the savior of all people in the sense that his sacrifice on the cross has the ability to save the whole world, to, to save all of the world. But it is only specifically applied to those who accept Jesus, who come to him and ask uh, to be part of him. Of course, that includes God helping and bringing people along to understand their sin and understand the Savior. second way to explain this, which I like, I think it seems to make more sense, explains it this way. He says, first of all, who is the Savior of all people? Now, the Savior of all people, then, is that God, in a sense, in a general sense, brings not salvation or eternal salvation to all people, but salvation in the sense of general salvation. That means that, each and every person who is a sinner deserves death. Imminent, quick death, we, we, we don't deserve. Why would God have to uh, preserve those who are against him? But God, being generous and kind and loving, even to those who are sinners, allows them to live and even allows them to prosper in this world at different times. Scripture tells us that he brings rain and he brings fruit and he brings harvest to those who are uh, his children and to those who aren't his children. So, in a general sense, Jesus is saving all people, not salvation, eternal salvation. He brings general salvation to all the world. But then, specifically at the end, it says, especially to those who believe. Especially to those who believe. Now, that turns our mind to eternal salvation. There's a difference between his general saving and specific salvation. His specific salvation is given to those who have accepted his son Jesus Christ, who have accepted his plan of salvation and live for it and live to please him for it. That's what we find. Are you training yourself for that future hope of seeing your heavenly father? That's what we look at today. Are you ready to look at Jesus and will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? If you have, your, if you have Jesus Christ as your savior, 
Those will be the words that, you, that he says to you. And, and he wants us to grow as we look at those, train ourselves, and as we train and as we, we turn to his word, he's going to help us in that endeavor. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time in your word. God, I, 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 I wait for that day to see my Savior. We don't deserve your sacrifice on the cross. God, I don't deserve it. My sins are great, Lord, but I, I know your, your sacrifice is greater. I thank you for it. Help uh, us to, to come to you, to discipline ourselves to, to godliness and to strive at knowing you better. And God, that, that's going to create a life that is uh, pleasing to you and glorifying to you. And so, Lord, help that be our desire as we live this life. In Jesus' name, amen.